0: Good morning to you. Oh, you can do better on that. This is the Sunday before Christmas. Let's try it again. Good morning to you. Yeah, are you glad to be here? Do you understand? you know what mercy is? I'm going to tell you what mercy is. Mercy is the fact that if it had been 10 degrees colder yesterday, we wouldn't be here. We'd be digging out about four foot of snow. Because if you have an inch of rain, that equals 12 inches of snow. And we had four and a half inches of rain or more. And we would have had like snow everywhere, Brent. But God in His mercy kept it warm enough to where we didn't. So ain't God good? He really is. And we're very glad you're here today and very grateful that you chose to worship with us on what is really a special time, the Sunday before Christmas. And let me just take a pause out, do a little commercial time here. First off, tonight, um, you know, it's, it's called Christmas Worship, Sing and Praise. And we've got several people who have agreed to come and bless us with ministry of worship. But the, key, the keystone tonight, the most important thing, is there going to be an opportunity in the service for people just to share what God has done for them. It's called an old-fashioned, Testimony service. And so I hope you will come and share. It might be about how God saved you. It might be something this past year. That God either blessed you. Or delivered you through. We need to give glory to God. And make God big. So that all happens tonight. Dave's got some great music lined up for us. It will be a wonderful time to come and worship. One more time at Christmas. And then of course. Uh, probably the, the crown jewel, I think, uh, of some of our services is our Christmas Eve service. It's a wonderful family time. We'll meet at 5 o'clock in the sanctuary, and we always close the service with a candlelight portion with a silent night. It's just a really, really special time. And if you've been... Qua- Pondering, Well, what should I do to fine-tune my Christmas Eve celebration? And you've never been to church on on Christmas Eve and worship Jesus on Christmas Eve in that way? It's pretty, pretty cool. And uh, we invite you to come at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve and come and be a part of that. So we've been in a Christmas series, haven't we, for the last uh, three weeks. This is week number four. And I want to talk to you about, again, like gifts. We talk about the gift, the gift that keeps on giving. And the first week we talked about God's love. Remember that? We talked about for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the second week, we talked about an amazing thing called grace and just how wonderful it is. And for by grace you have been saved and through faith. And that and all yourselves is a gift of God, not a work lest any man should boast. Now, last week we had a, a shorter sermon and boy, were we blessed with the kids. I'm telling you, amen. Wasn't it great? It really was. I tell you, and and, and by the way, in case you didn't check the board out, 400 people were here last week and heard their story, and I got to put a bow on at the end, and we talked about how every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, from the book of James. And one of those is salvation, but also gifts that He gives us through our lives. And and sometimes we we see our neighbor got the gift we prayed for, and, and God gives perfect gifts. In other words, it's perfect for you at that time. So if you've ever prayed and not got what you thought you wanted... It may be the time wasn't right that God was saving that gift for another time. So, you know, today we want to continue to thought about gifts and we want to kind of flip the coin because, you know, have you ever had that awkward moment before when a person walks up and gives you a gift and say, Merry Christmas, and you go, oh, crud. Like, you didn't get them a gift, you know, that, that couple months. Because, you see, in our society, normally when we receive a gift, it's customary to kind of give a gift. You know, it's just kind of the thing, the way the gift-giving thing works. And so, so today we want to talk about Our response to the great gift that God has given. Now, again, the the official sermon title was Where Kings Bow. And I like that one. I really do. But today was one of those days. And uh, again, if you'll bear with me, just let me share a little bit with you. Here's how how sermon prep for Dwayne goes. Um, I have a sermon schedule that me and God talk about and I write down and He later changes sometimes. But there's a schedule like I've got about the first six months something put down for next year uh, on Sunday mornings and often it does change because God's God. And so, so we, we do that and then on Monday or Tuesday, usually Monday, I do my sermon sheet, which means I sit down with the scriptures, I start dividing the scriptures up, sometimes I sermon points, and then I crop pot it. In other words, I think about it, I read some, I study some, I write notes down sometimes, and I get this thing going in my brain. And then, and this is probably dangerous, but it's just the way I've done it for 30 years. I get up at five o'clock or four 30 on Sunday morning and have my first two cups of coffee. So something makes sense. And then I sit down and, and I start writing, you know, and I write the points. I use the same sermon sheet you do. And as a matter of fact, I'll show you something. This is a sign that God did something different. You see, this is blank. You know, that wasn't my original plan. In fact, I wrote one out. I was trying to make, you ever try to make it happen? So I'm, I'm struggling, I'm writing, you and it wasn't coming together. I'm going, oh, wow, you know. So along about like 6.30, you know, I think God finally said, would you listen to me for a moment? And then God took the sermon where I really meant to go in the first place. I just got a bunch of clutter uh, in the middle there that needed to go. And so really the idea of thought came to me. We're at King's bow? That's great, that's fine. Talks about gifts, that's good. The real thought came to me Was saving Christmas. Because isn't that a hot button right now? I mean, come on. You know, somebody came up to me Wednesday night and said, hey, what do you think about this happy holiday thing and all that? You know, and and it really is a thing. Because again, culture is in the business of redefining social mores, and culture is in the process of trying to redefine uh, some of the things that we hold sacred. For instance, marriage, Uh, the culture is trying to redefine that. And certainly, it appears, uh, culture is trying to redefine. Christmas. And so I thought, well, you know, it'd be a neat sermon thought. How do we go about saving Christmas? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And this is not one of those, you know, the news said, and amen, yeah, preacher, you beat them up and get them thing. Not at all. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. But I, I, I came up with a plan to save Christmas. And I'm not getting any takers. Here's how it goes. You know, the shepherds were in the fields. Shepherds are never in the field during winter. So we know with almost absolute certainty that Jesus was not born in winter. In other words, I don't want to crush your, your bubble here, but Jesus wasn't born in December. He just wasn't. In fact, they most you know, there's a big push now saying that probably around the first part of April would be the true birthday of Jesus. So my plan was, let's let culture have their Christmas... And we'll just celebrate Christmas in April. And, and no, no, yeah, see, that was the response, you know. It, it didn't go over well. I mean, it would, I promise you there would not be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in April. I can promise you that. We can get rid of those things. But, but again, I know, you know, tradition and all of that. And by the way, in case you're wondering, since, you know, I'm talking, you know, about the 3rd century... A pope decided, this is how we ended up with with Christmas on the 25th, a pope decided that since the pagan society um, celebrated winter solstice on that day, it was a a, the God, God Saturn was involved with it, that he thought the Christians ought to have a day to celebrate Christ's birth, and so he decided to counter the negative part of the pagan holiday with a positive of celebrating Christ's birth. And that's how we ended up with December 25th. It wasn't an accident. That's how it happened. So, anyway, so no one liked my idea about April. So, I decided to come up with, and I thought this was really cool, because every once in a while it happens, you know. I, come up, I came up with God's 911 for Christmas. You know what 911 is, don't you? If you saw the first Santa Claus movie with Tim Allen, you know, he tells the boy, they're going out on the roof, and, and, the, and he tells the boy, Do you know how to dial 911? He goes, uh, Yeah, 911. And so, so we're going to do God's 911 for saving Christmas. And the good news is, you get to keep it in December. All right? All right, here we go. Now, let's look. Now, here's what we're going to do. Let me tell you what we're going to do. If you look at your sermon sheet, you see the first ver- eight verses of Matthew chapter 2. And we kind of just want to talk through that just a little bit, okay? The real, the real part that I want you to take home today, and I think God gave me to give to you take home, is actually 9-11. 9 through 11 will be the culture that we want, the verses we want to use to how can we save Christmas from culture, Now, it starts out, let's just read like we're reading the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, now, Herod was not a necessarily good guy, in fact, he wasn't even a Jew, Uh, he came after the line of Esau, he was appointed by the Roman government, Um, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Have you ever had those unexpected Christmas guests? They show up at your house unexpectedly. You know, uh, when I when I was a young pastor at Cobden, we were just getting there, and I was still learning faces. This couple came up on Sunday morning and said, "Hey, why don't you come out on Tuesday morning to supper?" I said that would be great, and I got home and decided, who was that? So I decided it was a family, a couple with the last name of Williams. And so we get directions to Williams. They live way out in the country, on top of a hill. And we get there and we knock on the door, and they open the door and they're eating. And about that time, I go, this does not look good. So we sit down, we visit for a while, you know, chat. and I I can tell they're going, why are you here? You know, and and frankly, by this time, I'm going, and why am I here? So finally, you remember this? So finally, I said, "Um, did you all invite us out for supper? (laughs) And no, no, we didn't. And so uh, we excused ourselves, and we finally figured out who it was, and we showed up for supper an hour and a half late. So on one hand, one hand they open the door and said, "Why is the pastor here while we're eating supper?" And the other hand, we show up an hour and a half late for a dinner that we totally, totally missed. Those unexpected guests. Well, the wise men show up in Jerusalem like totally unexpected, all right. And the Bible says they were saying, "Where is he who has been born King of the Jews?" Now remember that phrase, King of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So there you go. That's nice, peaceful introduction. But then if you look at verse number three. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, now again, that makes sense. I, you know, have you the, the phrase "Happy Holidays"? That's the big thing we're not supposed to say anymore. Happy Holidays. Well, I was telling the, my friend Wednesday night, um, the movie uh, Holiday Inn, Bing Crosby. Remember that one? Fred Astaire. Remember that? Anybody seen it? Well, it was written in 1942, and that's where the song "Happy Holidays." Happy holidays, may the merry bells keep ringing. You know that one? Well, that's when it was written. And back in 1942, I promise you, it was not not on anyone's mind, that happy holidays should replace Christmas. The problem is not the words happy holidays. It's what society and culture is doing in replacing um, Christmas, Merry Christmas, with happy holidays. There's nothing wrong with the phrase happy holidays, but now it's become the byword for culture to replace Christmas merry christmas and that's the problem now probably for the same reason see herod was deeply disturbed because he was the king if there's been a new king born that means he's not gonna be king anymore so for personal reasons it really fired him up he said i feel very threatened and i promise you there are people who feel threatened with christ see people have no problem with god generally speaking they have a really big problem with jesus it's very, very true in our culture today. So Herod was disturbed because Jesus was going to take his place. And I really think a lot of our culture is perturbed and disturbed because Jesus, they're afraid, is going to take over. And that's why he's king, to take over. Amen? Now, not only was King Herod disturbed, but also all society or all Jerusalem with him. And again, society was upset because Jesus, this new king, was going to come in and rock the boat. And did Jesus rock the boat? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Jews didn't like the Romans, but at least there was some kind of a semi-peace with them. And if a new king came in, that meant revolution. That meant rebellion. That meant life got harder. And so society was upset. So Jesus rocks the boat, and Jesus comes over to take over. And that's why the first Christmas was not happy holidays. It was hostile holidays. And brothers and sisters, lest you misunderstand, we are in a hostile holiday situation. And we do need to save Christmas. But probably it won't get done by wearing a button that says Merry Christmas. Or you ought to say Merry Christmas. That's great to do that. But that probably won't be the answer. Hang on. So then the Bible says, So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them, where the Messiah would be born? Well, they said, in Bethlehem, of course, of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Because out of you will come a leader, Jesus, who will shepherd my people Israel. So, you know, again, Herod, not being a Jew, he didn't know that. He didn't study his Bible, the Old Testament Scriptures. But the, but the priest knew that. If you want to find the new king, you'll find him born in Bethlehem. And that was exactly, exactly right. So then we move down to what I call... Now, again, you remember the phrase, season's greetings? Well, the first Christmas didn't, Christmas didn't have season's greetings. It had sinister greetings. Now, watch. Verse number seven. Then Herod secretly summoned... Great greeted them. The wise men asked them the exact time the star appeared. Now, why would he want to know that? Why would he want to make sure he knew the place... And knew the time. Because King Herod is threatened. And he's hatching a plan in his brain. I am going to get Jesus. And I'm going to make sure he is dead. Now you remember when Herod does the killing of the innocent. Later on in Matthew. He chooses the children how old? Two years old and down. Again, most, again you need to know this. Mostly, the, well, you know, for certain, the wise man did not arrive the night of Jesus' birth. It just wasn't happening that way. Because the word child is used, the young child, and also they were in a house. They were not, no longer in a stable. So, so Herod, using the location and Herod using the time, is hatching a plan to kill children. Not a child. He wants to make sure the threat is over, so he chooses to kill two-year-olds and down. So he inquires about what time the star appeared. And then the Bible says in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem, not trying to be nice, but so his plan might be fulfilled. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Sinister greetings. He had no intention of worshiping. He had intention of killing. And by the way, this is one of those by the way sermons. And by the way, not every preacher speaks the truth. And not every religion teaches the truth. And just because they say we believe in Jesus, be sure and check out what they believe about Jesus. And when a pastor twists the word of God to make it says what he wants to say, be very, very, very weary of that pastor. Because not everyone who saying, I want to worship Jesus, really wants to worship Jesus. So this is where, again, this is, this is God's 911 for saving Christmas. How, how do we go about influencing and saving culture to redeem Christmas back to what God intended to be. And that is a celebration of his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I got five steps for you. I hope you're a note taker. You'll take notes today. First off this, the Bible says this. Verse number 9, nine eleven. And hearing the king, they went on their way. Now, first thing I want you to write down. If we're going to save Christmas... Just like the wise men were determined to find Jesus. And the reason they were determined to find Jesus was because they valued who he was. If we are going to save Christmas, we have got to place high value on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, listen, the little cutesy saying says this Jesus is the reason for the season. But if in your life, if all it is is a button that you wear, and then in your lifestyle, it clearly said, I don't know about the reason for the season, I can't figure out and obey him on a daily basis. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ needs to be the core central value of everything we do, and not just on Christmas Day. See, Jesus is not just the reason for season, Jesus is the reason for life. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus became God, Emmanuel became God flesh with us. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. He is our hope. And we need to determine that. We need to make sure that, listen, Jesus Christ must be, let me say it again, Jesus Christ must be the highest priority, the highest value in our life. Let me read to you what Jesus said over in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. Jesus speaks and says these words. Listen carefully. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Now, all of us go through life seeking things. We're looking for things that we value, things that are precious. So, a merchant who is seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, how many? No, not five, not three, not two, not not one in a list of ten. Okay, One pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. My point is this. If we're going to say Christian Christmas, we have got to be a people who are willing to seek the pearl of great price above all other. Above all other. Listen, Jesus is not going to argue with the throne of your life. If you're a Christ follower, you seek the pearl of great price and only that great pearl. Jesus Christ is the center. He's the focus of your core value being. Now, that saves Christmas, but it may very well save your soul. Because if Jesus Christ is somewhere on a list of 20 for you, perhaps, just perhaps, you never received Him as Lord and Savior. So they were determined and they sought sought this child above all else. They sought the pearl of great price. The second thing is this. The Bible says this. And there it was. The star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Now, understand they weren't seeking a place. They were were seeking a child. A child. And the star, which is given by God, led them to the place and to the child. So, two, they depended on the guidance of God. I tell you today that if we're going to save Christmas... We have got to have the guidance of God. We've got to be a people who seek the wisdom and guidance of God. Mamas and daddies, let me tell you something right now. As a man who has three children grown with seven grandchildren, to a man who's looking at more days behind than there is before, I want to tell you something. I learned a few things a little too late. And the more you pour Jesus into your parenting, the better your children are going to be. The more you pour Jesus into your marriage, the better your marriage is going to be. The better, the more you pour Jesus into your life, the richer your life is going to be. We've got to seek and follow the guidance of God. Because God is a lot smarter than we are. Here's what he says. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. What if the wise man said, let's don't follow the star, let's just follow our instincts. Let's do what Dr. Phil says. Or perhaps they watched Oprah. We'll just follow Oprah. None of them work like God works. A lot of good books out there. But nothing can replace the book. And nothing can replace the wisdom of God. There's a time when, when Moses, back in the book of Exodus, and Moses was sitting there, and God was talking to Moses, and Moses was talking to God, and, and you know, God was talking, and finally Moses said this. Well, God, and this is a Dwayne Taylor translation. So finally, Moses said this. Well, God, let me tell you something. If you don't go with us, we ain't going. Would to God we would reach a point in our lives when we say, Okay, God, if I don't know where to go, and you haven't directed me, I think I'll just stay here. And then, God, when I see you moving, when I see a path that you're taking me down, nothing will keep me from following you. They sought the guidance of God. And that's important because, again, culture has got to see a people who have a number one priority, and that's Jesus Christ. And they have a people who are wise beyond their years because they follow God Almighty. Let's look at us next. The Bible says this. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed beyond measure. Now, if you'll notice the next verse, it says, entering the house. It wasn't that they saw the star. It's that the star led them to the place they needed to be and to the person they needed to meet. And that was Jesus Christ. Their life was filled with joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. They were filled with joy because the one great pearl they were seeking, they found. No, 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 no. I know some of y'all say, well, if I had, if I made three or six figures, I would be happy then. If I had been one of those people that won $123 million after taxes, my life would be complete. I'd be full. If I had a better husband, or if I had a better wife, or if I had better children, you know, those those folks are there, their their children ain't only any braces. I mean, they're like perfect. No. You know where you're going to get joy? Jesus. Jesus. You know, the whole season is about the billions of dollars that Americans spend on gifts. And all four gifts. All four gifts. Like gifts. Like gifts. But if you're seeking your happiness and your joy from things, by now you've probably figured out the day after Christmas is a very sad day because people are so sad. Because there's this unmet expectation. I'll tell you one thing. I don't always understand God, but He does. But I've never been disappointed in God. I've never... I've And you know, afterwards said, Boy, I wish I hadn't followed God. God never fails. And God, as we follow Him, if we'll seek His guidance, and and if we'll be determined to make that pearl great price, the one we're going to follow, we're going to find a new joy in our life. Joy isn't necessarily happiness. Joy is, is a peace with God in spite of circumstances. I mean, circumstances control happiness. You wake up on Christmas morning with the flu, chances are you're not going to be very happy. I did that one time in sixth grade. I remember it very well. Barfed my guts out on Christmas morning. No, I'm, I'm serious, I remember it. But you know what? Jesus is not contingent upon joy. Our circumstances. He's joy. He's joy. You know, Paul said in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, Rejoice. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean you rejoice when things are good? Yeah. But do you also rejoice when things aren't so good? Do you, you rejoice when things are difficult? Do you, you rejoice when you don't understand what's going on? Yeah, you do. And how, how does that say Christmas? I'm telling you, the world looks at the Christian, by and large, and go, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. They're more miserable than I am. I mean, even if you don't feel like smiling, for goodness sake, fake one for the world's sake. Act like you've got something that you're glad you got. Act like you found the pearl of great price. Act like what you got is worth dying for. This precious young couple. You know, a successful law career. Working exactly where he wanted to be. And in 21 months, walks away and buys a one-way ticket. Did you hear those words? A one-way ticket to Central Asia. And did y'all notice something? Ben, did you notice something? He didn't look depressed. I'd be scared to death. He didn't look depressed. She didn't look depressed. She's over smiling. (laughs) What wife do? They smile. You know why? Joy. Joy. Where did joy come from? Jesus he, he has found the pearl of great price. He says, number one priority is the pearl of great price. You may be called to Africa. You may be called to Central Asia. You may be called to go next door. But the bottom line is, when we have the pearl of great price, when we follow the, the guidance of God, we have the joy of Jesus. And society starts taking... Is, is moving into April easier yet? I mean, we still go back to plan A, moving Christmas to, 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 to April. Okay, all right, all right, watch this, watch this. Entering the house, they, they, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped them. Oh, no. No, it doesn't say that, does it? They worship him. See, that's what happens at Christmas, too. Because we're all wrapped up in this tradition thing, we worship things that don't, are not worthy of worship. They knew they were there to worship the king, not the mama. And we want to worship Santa Claus and we want to worship Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Christmas trees and all this stuff. And again, nothing wrong with that tradition. Just don't worship it. Just don't... I I can be careful because I'm going to preach this on Christmas Eve. Don't lose Jesus and all the hoopla. Come on now, amen? It's incredible. It's incredible. So, So they worship Him. Now watch this, watch this. A joyful life overflows into worship. A joyful life overflows into worship. We have two scriptures to look at. It's a natural progression. Listen to this. Give me time. Make a joyful noise, a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and sheep of His pasture into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The, the psalmist says, God deserves it all. He's worthy of our worship. And again, what's the importance of that, Dwayne? Well, see, every once in a while we have guests, like every Sunday. It's really important when a guest comes in, they see that we are we have a reason to worship. There's not three songs and offering a special and the guy gets up and hollers for thirty minutes. It's real. It's genuine. You show up and there's a there's a passion to sing about the King of Kings. it doesn't matter if there's drums or no drums, it doesn't matter if there's electric guitar or no electric guitar. What matters is we're here to do Jesus and celebrate and worship him. That's in the past. And again, I use this, I think I used this Wednesday night. I'll use it again. Listen to Revelation chapter seven. After hearing these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all the nations, tribes and peoples, that's missional and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now let me tell you something. If they knew how to worship in the Old Testament and they know how to worship in heaven, we better learn how to worship here. We better get some practice. Practice. I hope for you that worship is never just something you stumble into here. I pray you're intentional in your worship. That is, before you come to worship, you've worshiped at home. You say, God, we would sure like if you showed up in a big way today. And when people see that, they understand and see the joy and they understand the guidance and they understand the priority of the pearl of great price. And people all of a sudden start seeing something. Maybe this Jesus really is the reason Maybe Jesus really is the reason. Maybe there's a message behind the button. He gets further. They worshiped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Their joy overspread to worship, and authentic worship leads over to generosity. To a giving spirit. See, God is a giving spirit. I mean, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave. Remember what he gave him to. He gave him to a Roman cross. The death of deaths. Scourging. Crown of thorns. Beard plucked. Hung before the world naked and ashamed. Bearing the full wrath of God so that we and people like us would not have to. So the people in Asia. Central Asia. Would not have to. So the people in Nicaragua. Would not have to. So the people in Haiti. Would not have to. So, so the people in, in West Africa. And Uganda. And Mali. And Niger, And around the world. Would not have to. See. God is a generous God. Amen. And he says. Perhaps we should be. A people of generosity. And that helps save Christmas. Now, now, now how did this happen? Look what it says. They opened their treasures. Now, we don't know, again, because there's three gifts, you know, I've got a tie on, and the third guy's about cut off, but he's right there at number two and number three. But we really don't know. In fact, probably, given the commotion that happened in Jerusalem when when he showed up, there probably was a gaggle of them. There probably wasn't three. But, But notice what, I love this translation, the Holman Christian Standard. It says, they opened their treasures. Here's what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. If you treasure things, your heart's going to follow things. If If you treasure prestige, then your heart follows the prestige. And whatever you give your heart to, is going to take your time, your devotion, your money and everything else. Is is that right? And see, these guys, these guys gave their treasures to baby Jesus. Basically, they gave their heart. And when you give your treasures, you're giving your heart. Some of you, oh, this is going to go over like a lead balloon. It's not too late, but some of you need to rewrite your check to Lottie Moon. Some of you need to rewrite your check to Lottie Moon. Because it's an opportunity for you to give your heart to Jesus. One amen? Now, I tell you, you're one of the most generous people. I don't even mention, some of you need to rewrite your tithe check every week. Because you guys are incredibly giving. But you know, it's a great, great, great blessing. When we understand He gave so much, how can we not but give back to Him? So, God, here is my treasure, and that means I'm giving you my heart. (laughs) Things pop into my head when I preach. Some of y'all just trimmed your toenails, and that's what you're bringing to Jesus. The clippings. Jesus said, I don't want your clippings. I want your heart. I want your heart. So they bring these treasures, and this is the last three things. They bring to him... Gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, the gold is the gift of kings. The gold is a gift of extravagance. The, the, the gift is where, you know, if you get a gold ring or something, it's, oh, all the jury, comm- the, the jury store commercials, oh, he went to Jared's. Peter, I didn't go to Jared's, I need to tell you that. Uh, didn't. Yeah she said good She didn't I asked her You want jewelry And she said no Jared's are not But they bought gold The gift Of extravagance See God was so extravagant With us We need to be extravagant With him I remember the story It's really cool Because see some, some of y'all said, saying Frazier if, if you knew my income And my budget you know there is no extravagance with me. Let me tell you a quick story. One day, Jesus was at church. And he was sitting by the place where they gave the offerings. They had a little trumpet thing on the thing. Chucked your offerings in there. Well, they all the Pharisees were all coming. And this is what they tell me now. The Pharisees would all get their... you know, you know, Of course, there weren't dollar bills. But they would get small coins... So that when the Pharisees dump their offering into the trumpet thing, the receptacle, they go, clink, 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 And people go, woo shoot the thing, he brought the bank. Well, this is all going on. And this little old widow lady on Social Security. Have you all spent your 1.5 increase yet? <laughs> Thank you, President Obama and government. She comes up. And a widow's mite, a brother gave me one. It's about that big. And you hear? Tick, tick. Jesus calls the boys over. Guys, come here, come here, come here, come here. You see that lady right there? She just gave the biggest gift of all. Jesus said, the boy said, Well, she only gave a mite. They all gave out of their abundance. She gave it all. God loves extravagance. Whether for you that's $10 or $10,000 does not matter. God loves extravagance. You know why? Because when it's given the right heart, it says, I love you. They brought their gold. They brought their frankincense. The frankincense was a, a spice used in many ways, but it was used as one of the incense of worship. It was an act of service for the priest to go into the holy place and burn the frankincense as a sweet aroma to God. And, and frankincense is the gift of worship and service. Worship and service. Paul wrote in Romans 12:1. I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love, that was good. And then the NIV comes along and puts, it's a good translation, which is your spiritual worship. And and Paul is saying that when, when we present ourselves to God, when we present ourselves as frankincense to God, it's an act of worship and it's an act of service. I tell you what, you get a bunch of Christians who worship God and serve God. Hmm. Christmas gets changed. See, it's easier to talk, but when we act it out, it gets noticed. Am I right? It gets noticed. Gold, Go frankincense, and then myrrh. Myrrh. myrrh was what they embalmed Jesus with. It was mainly an embalming spice. And then again, again, you look forward, the kings, no, no, they didn't have any idea, but it would be proved true that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus embalmed the body, most likely myrrh was used. But look forward to his death. He look forward to his sacrifice. Our friend Kevin Wright, when he was here, read the scripture, and it talks about the priest and how well, the new sacrificial system of Jesus Christ, that, that the priest you know, had no right with the sacrifice to eat the sacrifices. But it says this. For the bodies of those animals, the sacrifice animals, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So because they were burned for sin, the, the scraps, if you will, are taken outside the camp because they're unclean. And then the writer says this. Therefore Jesus also. That he might sanctify. That he might set apart. The people with his own blood. Suffered outside the gate. Cursed is the man. The scriptures say. That hangs on the tree. And Jesus suffered a shameful death. That we might be saved. He was willing to bear reproach so we wouldn't have to bear God's reproach. And then listen to this. It's so good. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. What is myrrh? Myrrh is a gift that says, I give you my love, I give you my devotion. I give you my loyalty. No matter what society says about you, Jesus, I will stand with you. No matter what society says, Jesus, if I serve you, that they lock me up, lock me up. Because Jesus, you are the pearl of great price and there's nothing that can take your place. Now let me just ask you a question. In those five statements, where they 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 determined to seek the pearl of great price. Where they sought the guidance of God. Where they had the joy of God. Where they worshiped Holy God, and they were generous toward God. Do you not believe that as God's people embrace those simple, simple truths from the Word of God, that society would take notice, that Christmas might be saved? That when we're in the stores, it's almost over, and we're in line. instead of being a Scrooge, we had the joy. know y'all, y'all, y'all slugged anybody on Black Friday, did you? It's not very Christian. Do you think if, you think if, if society saw more of Christmas in us, that might save Christmas? Thank you, Jackie. That's right. That's right. See, like it or not, believe it or not, to some degree, did I say to some degree? To some degree, our culture is where it is. is because we were too busy being religious and not being in love with Jesus. We were too busy involved with rules and not grace. We were too busy chucking stones instead of saying, neither do I condemn thee. In the words of Jesus, go and sin no more. We were too busy something besides Jesus. But you know what I believe? I believe it's not too late. I believe not only can we save Christmas, can God save Christmas, He can save the United States. And I just believe God, there's enough grace in God to save this world yet. Do you know what the worship scripture in Revelation 7 said? Do you hear that? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. somehow, when Matt gets over there in Central Asia and Bethany, those people group are going to be represented in Revelation 7. Isn't that cool? And that's why you got to get Lottie. That's why you got to get Lottie. Because Lottie is an incredible boy. He could not have said it better. That boy, I tell you, he's good. He could not have said it better. 27 months they'd have gone from church to church to church to church. Can you support us? Can you support us? I know about that system. Can you support us? He'll be on the field 27 months early because of the generosity of people like you and me, who make the IMB, the Cooperative Program, and everything else possible. That's why you. Have, that's why some of you I won't try to be mean when I said somebody of you right to write your check. This is big guys. This is bigger than staff pay raises. This is bigger than anything else we do at Dorisville. It's helping people discover Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So let's leave here this morning. We've only got a few hours to Christmas. But let's leave here this morning committed to the Pearl of Great Price. Committed, determined to seek His guidance. Determined to experience and live out His joy. Determined to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And determined to be generous as He was. Would you bow your heads, please? Oh, God is good, folks. God is good. Everyone likes being a part part of something really big. I don't know where, you know, if you had a chance to be a part of the Christmas story, would it be the shepherds? Um, would it be the, the, the wise men? Would it, would it be? I don't know what it'd be. What it'd be. But we had the opportunity to be a some, part of something very, very, very big. Very big. Now, if you're here today, I need to take about a minute to tell you this. What you heard today was, was the periphery, the outside of the greatest truth ever. And the, and the center of that truth is this, that God loves you. Yeah, you sinned against Him. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not one. But the cool part is, in regards to your skin color or where you are, what you've done, how big your sin list is, you got, is that God's grace is sufficient for you and He welcomes you into His family simply by grace. He doesn't say clean up your act and then come. He says you come. And I'll forgive you if you come with sincerity of heart. If you want to turn from your sin, repent. You come. I'll welcome you into the family. Brother Brent's going to be standing down front here. And if that's your desire today, take Brent by the hand and say, Brent, I want to know how I can know this Jesus of Christmas. I want to know this pearl of great price that the preacher talked about. Somebody who's worth giving up everything for. I want to know that Jesus. And we'll be glad to share that with you. And for the rest of us who are believers in Christ, I pray as we leave here, those five things will be in our mind. And that we will be a part of saving christmas and perhaps saving the world thanks god for the privilege of sharing your word today thank you so much Father. thank you for redirecting thank you father for great truths from your word father speak to our hearts if my friend is here today and who has never experienced this wonderful forgiveness the greatest gift ever may today be the day may this be the time and god for us Father, we just, we get misdirected. We do. Bring us home today. Help us to refocus. Refocus on you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.